You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. When our Lord Jesus describes the distress that will overtake the nations in this world, the unbelievers of this world, uh, he's not only describing something that is to come, but actually the history of the world as it exists today. Uh, And you can see it in the news, right? So the world leaders this past week were out in France uh, talking about the impending doom that comes by climate change. And they were all scrambling, trying to figure out ways to cut carbon to save the world. Literally, that was what it was at stake for them. News outlets are insisting that no one is, is safe from the epidemic of gun violence that's overtaken this country. Militant Islam is on the rise, and they're boasting that the edge of their sword is making its way into your workplaces, into your communities, and even into your home life. Now, it seems like the the good work that's being demanded by the world's voices, whether they're liberal, uh, libertarian, or anything in between, the the proper response is to get worked up into a terrified frenzy, right? But really, who, who has the energy or the perpetual outrage enough to, to, to keep up with all of it. And so most people, it turns out, they just sort of resign themselves to what Jesus calls dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of their own life. <coughs> Dear saints, you know it has to be this way. Jesus tells us Christians to, accept, to expect signs, and the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the raging of the sea and its waves. All of these things show you that this world is dying. It's falling apart. Jesus tells Christians to expect that unbelievers will respond with uncertainty, with fear and terror. And Jesus doesn't tell you about these signs so that you can join the world in its distress. Jesus tells you about these signs so that you can straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is the divine Son of Man who shed his blood for your forgiveness. And he is the one who is coming quickly in power and glory. Because you know that fact, you know that this is not the hour of terror. This is the hour to watch and to pray so that you meet your Lord with joy. Now, we've gathered already that there are two kinds of reactions to the signs that Jesus said will will mark his coming. The first one is distress, and the second one is anticipation that is born from faith. Now, to those people who don't know about Christ, who don't know about the forgiveness of sins, about their peace before God the Father in heaven, how else should they respond except with fear? Every natural disaster, every unthinkable act of violence that they, have to, they, that they have to witness. It's nothing but another uncomfortable reminder that everything in this world in which they invest their fear, their love, and their trust, all of it is decaying into nothing. For people who know nothing about the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, fear is appropriate. And in fact, I think Pastor Wolfmuller would agree with this. It means that their consciences are working properly. 
These sorts of terrors are the first parts of repentance. But it's not complete or true repentance, since the most important thing is missing. Now, when, when, when the people in the world are overtaken by their consciences with, with fear and guilt, <laughs> they're afraid of what's coming, there are two sorts of responses. Uh, the first one is the resignation to despair, which is what we'll talk about a little bit later. And then the second one is to come up with self-contrived works of righteousness, which are motivated by fear. On the one hand, you, you can see the devout Muslim who, in terror of Allah's wrath, is compelled to fulfill the injunctions of the Quran, which require universal repentance, universal obedience to Allah through acts of violence. In this way, they strive not only to make themselves holy and righteous before Allah's wrath is revealed, but also everybody else on the face of the world. On the other hand, the, the climate activist in the name of ecological justice will require from you carbon sacrifices (laughs) so that you can prove yourself to be a friend of the earth, to keep at bay the end of the world by warming, right? Now, either way, this is a very, very bad idea uh, that the end of the world and our fear of the end of the world can somehow be subdued or put at bay because of our own self-wrought righteousness. It's the idea that we can buy more time from the powers of the universe, or perhaps even from God himself, if we are good enough. But it's never enough. Even, even by uh, the, 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 the measure of righteousness of the most holy Muslim you could ever find, it's never good enough for the most extreme climate activist out there. There's always going to be someone else who doesn't believe who needs to repent. There's always going to be another ecological crisis that demands activism. It's true that the signs of the end of the world demand repentance. But it's not a repentance of works. It's a repentance of the heart. It's the repentance of faith. Now you, when you see these signs happening, rather than either responding in indifference or or trying to amend your life merely through your works because you're terrified, you have faith. That's founded on the one thing that stands firm from age to age. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus says that your rock, your foundation, upon which your faith is built, is his holy word. It is the preaching that God is merciful towards you through his son Jesus. That Jesus is your treasure. And so instead of trying to escape certain death and destruction through your own man-made righteousness, you have Christ's righteousness as a gift, as a given. It's already done for you. And because his righteousness is certain and yours can never be, and because you have faith in the the righteousness of Christ that cannot change, Whenever you see the signs, you have joy and hope. You have the complete repentance of Christian faith. And you know that 
when Jesus comes, it's not to hold you accountable to all your sins because you know that Jesus has already died for your sins. You know it will be the day when your captivity to sin, death, and the devil will be made manifest in such a way that you can see it, you can taste it, you can feel it. You will have known that your salvation has finally come. Now, Jesus gives an illustration of this, a beautiful picture of what it means to expect his coming in Christian joy. Jesus says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. See, Jesus chooses a picture that defies uh, the cold and harsh winter of this world. And though life is leaving this fallen creation just as surely as frost appears on the ground this time of year, you're taught to see the signs of the world's end as marks of the eternal summer of God's fulfilled promises. And so in the same way as, as buds on the tree are testimonies against the permanence of winter, that it will last forever, so also are the signs of the world's end but a reminder that Jesus is coming quickly to bring a final fulfillment to each and every one of the gospel promises. The warmth and the light of Christ's reign are almost here. And there is going to be an end to the tears, the pain, and the sorrow that people have grown so accustomed to on this earth. And what's great is that it's closer even right now at this very minute than it was when you woke up this morning to get ready for church. Now, Jesus stresses that, that these, these budding signs, uh, they will already come to pass within the lifetime, within the generation of his, of his apostles. So he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now, can you imagine? For the apostles, that meant that as soon as Christ ascended into heaven, as soon as the Holy Ghost, which was promised, was given to them, and they started preaching in, in Jerusalem and Judea and in, in all the surrounding countries, that they were preaching with the expectation that Christ could be back at any moment. And it's really funny when scholars, uh, uh, especially unbelieving scholars, look at the Bible, they're always caught by that. That, hey, these guys actually believe as if Jesus would show up. And then a lot of times you get the same reaction when people read Luther. They say to themselves, I can't, can you believe that Luther actually believes that Jesus is somehow going to show up within the next month or two? I mean, who thinks like this? It turns out that Christians think like this. You think like this. You're ready for Christ to appear at any moment. Why? Because Jesus says, you are to expect me like this. You are to be prepared to meet me at any moment. How is it then you are, are you to be ready? Now, Jesus says you, you fight against the temptations in this world, the things that, that weigh down your heart. You watch for him, and then you pray. Jesus says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with the dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly, like a trap. Now, there's probably a couple of ways that your hearts can, can really be burdened 
by these things. And the, the first is probably <laughs> to give up on the world's uh, uh, demand to keep up with their self-chosen works of righteousness that are supposed to keep the end of the world at arm's length, right? Uh, uh, you've, you've, <laughs> you've sacrificed enough carbon credits and, you, and you're just tired of doing it, so now you're going to give up loving your neighbor also. <laughs> this is the despair that neglects your neighbor. To seek after just quick satisfactions of your flesh. Uh, it's really the vice of gluttony, I think, that's acted out in any number of places. It could be in the shopping malls, you know, and going in these little uh, selfish shopping sprees despite what's in your bank account and despite sort of what it's going to do to your family. It could happen in, in strip clubs or who knows where else. And this is what Jesus means by dissipation. It's giving yourself over to your basic biological impulses Apart from how God wants to take care of you, that's dissipation. Jesus, once again, warns against drunkenness. Now, Pastor Wolf Mueller makes this point often, that getting drunk lowers the walls of the conscience, uh, which guards your heart from just blatantly being in sin. And that's, and that's right. Uh, but also this in particular, right here, what Jesus is saying, it keeps you from praying. Or at least I know that if you're drunk, you probably don't pray well. <laughs> I mean, because when you, when you indulge in this kind of drink to, to put the cares of this world out of reach or out of touch or out of mind, uh, you've also, at the same time, confessed that I, I don't need to be meditating on the Holy Scriptures, which is your true comfort. That at least for these hazy hours, uh, you're trying to get away from even God's help. That you would rather be left alone. So Jesus tells you to watch out for that. Finally, Jesus reminds us uh, that the worries and cares of this world can build up to the point that they can drown out his word. Now, the cares of this life can come in either a broad way or a very narrow way. Uh, in a broad way, it's basically what you see when you turn on the TV and you see the horrible news stories of what's going on in the world right now. Uh, it's what pops up in your news feed on your phone. And it's been horrible lately. It can become so pervasive to the fact that you think that this is just how life is. It's miserable. It's brutish and short. And, and it's probably just a matter of time be, be, before evil finally ta- overtakes me. Or, it can, or the, the, the cares of this life can be much narrower. You know? It can pertain to the, sort of the cares that you have uh, with regard to your budget. right? Uh, the loneliness that you feel. Or perhaps that you're not, your knees aren't quite working the way they used to. Now, these cares of life can either prompt you to pray, which is what Jesus teaches us to do, or that they, they can become idols in their own right. Jesus points out that the heavier they become on your heart, the less you watch for him and expect him in joy. Now, dear saints, even though each and every one of us must contend with the, with the sins of our flesh and the drunkenness of apathy or the cares that the devil uses to weigh down our hearts, Jesus opens your eyes this morning to see his mercy. And then he tells you this, that your flesh, with all of its weaknesses, that is coming to an end when I come. That the coldness of your heart can be overcome and it can be shattered. 
And that one way or other, the cares that you, that you feel are so important in your life right now, one day they will be forgotten. Jesus gives you his word to wake you up. He gives you the right interpretation of all of the signs of the end of the world. He gives you this interpretation so that you would be driven back into his word, into the promises of salvation. The tribulations of this life are hard to bear. But the Lord gives you the strength of his own Holy Spirit, who preserves your faith against all of the attacks. And when you pray to be strengthened in this faith, against these attacks, the Lord's answer will always be yes. Because he doesn't forsake his children, but he loves them. And so, dear saints, I implore you, don't don't be frightened or surprised whenever you see the world crumbling. Even if you must lose everything in this life and the worst fears of all the talking heads in the media are realized, you still have a Redeemer who has plucked you out of this dying world in the the life-giving waters of your baptism. You know how much He loves you and that He's coming back for you. You know that you have the rock of his own righteousness to hold you up on the day of judgment. And so set your hearts on this treasure and pray that nothing ever takes this joy and this confidence away from you. Amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.